Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I don't know about your family, but I grew up in a family that loved to play games. I grew up in a very competitive family that loved to play games, so that created tension at times in our home. But one of the games that I grew up playing in my family was this game. It's called the Game of Life. Now, mine doesn't look exactly like this. Mine's an older version of this game. But we grew up playing the Game of Life. I talked to you about this game last weekend. Has anybody here today, you've never played this game? Let me see your hand. You've never played this game. All right, right here. I'm a guy in a hat right there. Come here, Scott. In the spirit of Christmas, I saw your hand first. I'm going to give you a gift of the game of life today. So Christmas is just, Merry Christmas, man. Christmas is just a couple of weeks away, and I hope you've been inviting your friends, relatives, coworkers, neighbors, their invite cards in your seat. The, The statistics say in surveys that people are more open to an invitation to attend a church service or to hear about Jesus at Christmas than at any other time during the year. So I encourage you during this Christmas season to be inviting your friends to come. We're looking forward to all six of our Christmas Eve services that start on the 22nd of December. We're just kind of kicking it off in the spirit of Christmas with a gift this morning to enjoy playing the game of life. Hope you enjoy it as much as I do, and I hope you don't have any fights in your family over that game. Now, there is something I want to point out about the game, though. It's just a board game, right? Because inside of that board game is an instruction manual, and in the instruction manual of the game of life, it tells us how to win, which is a very important part of the instruction manual, right? We don't play to play. We play to win. We want to win. So let me show you what it says in the instruction manual about how to win at the game of life. Here's what it says. After all players have retired, this is right out of the instruction manual. All players then count up their money, and the player with the highest dollar amount, what? Wins. There you go, right? Now, that's fun in the board game of life. The problem is, for a lot of people in our culture, it's not just a game. That's how a lot of people view life. That life's about money. It's about accumulating the most stuff. And the person who has the most in the end is the one who wins. What does the Bible say about how we should view money and material possessions? Does it say anything? Absolutely it does. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Last weekend and this weekend, we've taken two weekends to walk through this series we've simply called the game of life. And we're looking at what scripture has to say 
about money and material possessions. And we're doing that because during this time of year is one of those seasons when we somewhat lose our minds as it applies to the way we handle our money. And also as we look towards beginning a new year, next year is when a lot of people will look back on how they've spent their money and said, man, I didn't do it very well. And they'll make New Year's resolutions about how to do it better. So we want to speak into that over two weekends about what the Bible has to say. So I'm going to read these verses, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, and I'm going to put them up on the screen in case you're here and don't have a Bible with you this morning. The scripture says, instruct those who are, say the next word out loud, rich. Now we talked last weekend, that does not disqualify most of us, all right? We can read that and go, whoo, good news. He's not talking to me today. He's talking to rich people. But the word rich in the New Testament was simply describing those of us who have enough plus a little bit more, which would be most people in America. Not all people, but most people would fall into this category of being rich. So he's talking to us. Instruct those who are rich, us, in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed." Now, we read this section of Scripture last weekend, and we're looking at it again this weekend. I said there were three principles we wanted to draw out of this to really shape our view about money. I gave you the first one last weekend. We said life is not about money. Life is not about money. Material wealth is temporary. It's not trustworthy. It doesn't satisfy. Last weekend, we talked about material wealth and money being like a cup with a hole in the bottom of it. Everything you put in, it continues to leak out, and we're always wanting to have more. Doesn't matter what state you get to, what level of living you get to, there's always the next one, and there's always a hunger for something more. If you weren't here last weekend, you can go online, you can go to our app, and you can watch that for free. It doesn't cost any thing to get caught up understanding life's not about money. Well, if life's not about money, then what's life all about? And that's where we finished last weekend. We said life is all about relationships. First and foremost, God's created us for a love relationship with himself. God made us to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. And here's what I want you to hear me say. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God, you will never experience real life apart from a love relationship with him. You can try money. You can try success. You can try other people. You can try hobbies. You can try power. You can try all. You will never experience. That's why Paul closes this section of scripture by saying you'll, you'll discover what life indeed. It means real life. You'll never know real life apart from a love relationship with God and then enjoying our relationship with God and fellowship with other people. That's the way God made us. God made us to know him, to love him, to be known and loved by him, and enjoy a relationship with him in the context of fellowship with others. That's what life is all about. But that's what we talked about last weekend. Life's not about money. But money is a reality in life, right? 
All of us have to deal with money every single day. Most of us have some in our pocket right now. Most of us wish we had more of it in our pocket right now, right? We had more last week than we have this week because we've been Christmas shopping this week, right? So money is a reality in life. It's something we all have to deal with. So as a Jesus follower, what should be my perspective towards money. And that's the second two principles I want to share with you. The first one, life's not about money, but here's the second one. Money is a valuable resource in life. Money's a valuable resource in life. I looked up that word resource this week in the dictionary, in Webster's dictionary. The word resource, here's the way it's defined by Webster. Resource is a source of supply. You know what the most important word in that definition is? Say that word out loud. You know what most of us think that is? The. Money is the source of supply. When we say that money is a resource, that means it's a source of supply. We tend to look at money as the source. It's it's the source of my supply. But Paul says money is not the source of life. Paul says God is the source of life. Money is simply a resource that God supplies us with. That's why the Bible says here in verse 17, he says to fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things. That little phrase, all things, if we were texting that today, the way we would text it is in all caps. Because in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it's a very unique usage here of that little phrase, all things. It appears throughout Scripture, but in this particular instance, the way all things is used, it's emphatic. So we would be texting, God supplies us with all caps, all things, meaning everything comes from Him. God is the source of life. Money is simply a resource in life, meaning provision joy, peace, contentment, happiness, fulfillment, purpose, value, those things aren't found in money. They're found in relationship with God and with others. Money's a valuable resource in life. And if we're ever going to have a right view of money and material possessions, it starts with having a right perspective, understanding God as the source. So I want to give it to you in three little phrases that I hope you'll be able to remember. All right, here's the first one. It all belongs to Him. Say that out loud. It all belongs to Him. If God is the supplier of all things, that means He is the source of all things and the owner of all things. And that's not something that's new to the language of Paul here. That's something that's taught both in the Old and the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there's a verse in Psalm that is also quoted in 1 Corinthians that specifically says it all belongs to Him. Let me show it to you. I'll put it up here on the screen. It says, The earth is the who. Now, the way this is used, it's used in a tense that communicates possession. So, the earth is the Lord's, meaning it belongs to Him. What belongs to Him? The earth. And what? And the Bible here is describing the earth, the universe, like a box, a container. 
And the Bible says the box, the container, belongs to God. But not just the box, everything inside the box. The earth and all that it contains, everything on it, everything in it, it all belongs to him. Here's what that means. According to the Bible, everything I have ultimately belongs to God. Now, because I want you to hear yourself say that, we're going to read this out loud. You ready? I want you to hear yourself say that. You ready? One, two, three. According to the Bible, everything I have ultimately belongs to God. You all right with that? Hey, it's true whether you're all right with it or not. And that's not according to Pastor Vance. That's not according to Hope Church. It's according to the Bible. God said in his word, the earth is his and all it contains, which means everything I have ultimately belongs to him. Now, I know what you're thinking, but wait a minute. (laughs) I have worked hard for what I have. I put in the hours, I put in the time, I sacrifice. That's what, listen, hey, has it ever dawned on you who put breath in your body so you could go to work hard? Has it ever dawned on you that who it is that is holding the universe together so that we even have stability and the ability to acquire material possession. Everything we have ultimately belongs to God. And listen, when you understand this, this truth will set you free. It'll bring you joy. You say, how can I be joyful if I don't have anything? It all belongs to Him. Let me prove it to you. How many of you this morning, when you left to come to church, before you left your house, made sure your doors were locked? Let me see your hand. Some of you panicking right now because you can't remember. (laughs) Some of you won't hear another word I say this morning because you're thinking, did I lock the door when I left the house this morning? Man, we bought all those Christmas presents. I know people are out looking to steal Christmas. Did I lock my door this morning? Some of you getting your phone out right now. You're checking your app to see if you've locked your door. Why? Because you want to protect what belongs to you. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you, when you locked your house, left your house, before you came to church, you came to my house to make sure my doors were locked? Anybody do that this morning? If anybody raises their hand with security, please take notice, because I want to put them on a list. (laughs) No, you didn't do that. Why? Because you're just worried about your stuff, right? You're not worried about my stuff. Listen, when you realize none of it's your stuff, It all belongs to him. If he wants to do something with his stuff, why is that my business? It doesn't belong to me. The reason I'm so torn up inside is I think it's mine. But it's not mine. It's his. And when you grasp that, there's freedom. It all belongs to him. Here's the second thing. He's entrusted some to me. Out of that which belongs to him, the Bible says he has supplied, he's made available, he's put it in my hands, something that belongs to him has now been entrusted to me, and I'm responsible to steward what he's entrusted to me. Here's the principle of stewardship, managing that which belongs to another as though it belongs to me, meaning everything I have in my life is material wealth, possessions, money, I know that it belongs to him. My job, my responsibility, my calling is to steward that which he has entrusted to me. Here's the third one. 
What he's entrusted to me, I am to use for him. I'm to use it for him. Everything he's entrusted to me, I'm to use in a way that honors him and brings him glory. Now, here's what this does. This blows this principle of stewardship up. Because often when we think about stewardship, here's what we think. Okay, the spiritual thing that I'm supposed to do is to give some money over here. But then with the rest of what I got, that's not spiritual. That's just me doing what I want to do with my stuff. Here's what Paul says. No, it all belongs to him. So a spiritual discipline is not just giving. A spiritual discipline is also everything else I do in managing that which he's entrusted to me. Every decision I make about the material wealth, possessions, and money in my life is a spiritual issue because it belongs to him. He's entrusted it to me, and I'm to use it for him. So to really get these three things, I'm going to put them back up here all on the same screen. I want us to read them together because I want you to get these. You ready? One, two, three. It all belongs to him. He's entrusted some to me. What he's entrusted to me, I am to use for him. If you got that, say amen. Here's why this is important. Everything else Paul says in these verses is based upon our understanding of this principle. Because what Paul does in the rest of these verses is he teaches us what it looks like to use what he's entrusted to us in a way that honors him. And he gives us two keys. Here's the first one. Now, this first one may surprise you. Money is a resource to be, say it out loud. Wait a minute. I thought when you came to church, all they did was tell you to give your money away. What do you mean... It's a spiritual response to enjoy what God has entrusted to us. Look at it in verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to, say it out loud, enjoy. It's right there in the book. God blesses us with material possessions so that we can enjoy them. The word enjoy is a word that means to find pleasure in. Here's what this means. Money and material possessions are not evil. Christians sometimes say, oh, you know, the Bible says money is evil. No, it doesn't. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. If money were evil, God supplies us with money. That means God's giving us evil. Money's not evil. Our heart attitude towards money can be the root of all evil in our lives. But money's just a resource. And the Bible says it's one that we can enjoy. Some Christians with a holier-than-thou mentality will try to make you feel guilty for enjoying material things. And you and I do not have to feel guilty. God gave us material things, and one reason he gave it to us was to enjoy it. One of the kind of first rites of passage that I remember in my life growing up was when my, my mom and dad gave me my first bicycle. You know, yeah, they'd given me other stuff, but when they gave me a bicycle, it was the first time there was like responsibility attached to the gift like airing the tires and oiling the chain and making sure you took care of your bicycle. 
my parents gave me a gift, but then they said, hey, we want you to take care of this. And I, in turn, did that with my kids. I gave them gifts, so gave them bicycles. And I said, hey, here's your bike. But listen, there's some responsibility. You got to take care of this. Now, when we said, here's a gift, you have to take care of it, did that mean don't enjoy it? Being a good steward of the bicycle did not disqualify them from enjoying it, right? As a matter of fact, as the one who gave them the gift, I find great joy in watching them enjoy that which I've given to them, right? Same's true with God. God's given you material possessions, and you don't have to feel guilty about enjoying those things. Money is to be enjoyed in life. But listen, money is not the joy of life. It's just a resource. So money's to be enjoyed. Number two, money is a resource to be shared. Listen what he said. Verse 18. Now, verse 18, before we read it, let me just go ahead and tell you, Paul is about to lay this on thick. Let me show you. Verse 18. Instruct them to do what? Now, to be honest with you, could have put a period right there. That's all he had to say. God supplies us with all things. He's given it to us to enjoy, and he's given it to us to share. So do good. That word good, that that, that phrase do good is a word that literally means to act on somebody else's behalf, to do something on the benefit of others. One of the ways God wants us to enjoy what he's given to us is by bringing joy to others by sharing with them out of what he's entrusted to us. So it could have been instruct them to do good, period. But Paul didn't stop there. He added another line, to be rich in good work. Not just a little bit good. Don't just do a little bit of good, but be rich in good works. means to abound, to spill over, to have more than enough, to do more than you think is necessary. Could have put a period there, but he didn't. To be what? What a great word. It's a word in the Bible that literally means open-handed or to hold it loosely. It's that picture of everything that I have, holding it like this loosely ready to share with other people. Unfortunately, in our culture, here's how we hold our stuff, like this, right? Not like this, but like this. And generosity looks like this. Here's what the Scripture says. No, 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 no. God's given it to you to enjoy, so enjoy it. But he's also given it to you to share. So you should do good. You should act on behalf of others. You should do that over and above. And you should do it ready, holding. And then he finishes it, last phrase, ready to share. It's the idea of being on the lookout. Like nobody's having to ask me. I'm locked and loaded. I am ready. To enjoy what God's given me by bringing joy into the lives of others. Every one of these, it gets even thicker. Every one of these phrases in the Greek language is in the present active tense. Say, so why is that important? Here's why it's important. It's describing ongoing, continuous action. This is not an act that I do occasionally. He's describing lifestyle, meaning 
If I really realize it all belongs to him, he's entrusted something to me, and what he's entrusted to me, I'm to use for him. I can enjoy what he's given me, but in the midst of enjoying it, I am walking around, and I am always on the lookout. I am living ready to make a difference in somebody else's life. And let me ask you this. Doesn't it just make sense that the defining mark of the life of a Jesus follower is radical generosity when the heart of the gospel is radical generosity? Think about it. What one verse in the New Testament sums up the gospel maybe better than any other verse in the Bible? John chapter what? 3 verse what? 16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he what? Hold on. He did what? He gave. How did he give? Like this? No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did he do that? So that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God lavishly and generously gave. So it just makes sense that when we've experienced that gospel, that a lifestyle characteristic is, I live ready to share. Now, in our way of thinking, generosity makes us nervous. Let's just be honest, okay? Pastor, if I, if I start living with everything that I got holding it like this, and I'm always thinking about other people, here's the question that's in our flesh, but none of us will say out loud at church. What about me? Generosity may not make sense in our economy, but listen, it makes perfect sense in God's economy. Let me show it to you in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 says there's one who scatters. It's describing one who's always scattered. And yet, does what? Increases all the more. Then he says, and there's one who withholds what is justly due. And yet it results in want. Now, wait a minute. That's backwards. If you hold on to it, you have more. If you give it, you have less. The Bible, God's Word says, here's my economy. The more you give, the more you have. The more you hold, the less you have. Look what he goes on to say. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Here's the law of generosity in God's economy. The one who gives gains. The one who holds loses. See, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense in our economy. It makes perfect sense in God's economy. And don't misunderstand me. This is not a give-to-get mentality. That's not what I'm describing. But the simple truth is that God blesses generosity. When God sees you and me as a conduit through which he can be a blessing to others, just hang on. Because he will abundantly provide in such a way so that he may give through you to others. Generosity invites the generosity of our Father into our lives. My wife and I have been married for almost, this coming May will be 28 years that we've been married. And we started together as a young couple. I was 20, she was 19 years old. And we started together on this journey of marriage and we established this principle of generosity early in our home. And for 28 years, we have lived out a principle of generosity. Not perfectly, we've had mistakes in our own life just like you have. 
But here is my personal testimony after 28 years with a family of living this out. Every time we've raised our standard of giving, God has always raised our standard of living. Every time. Every time. Now, does it always add up on paper? Not exactly. But here's what I'm telling you. Every time we've taken another step of faith in this journey of living generously, God has responded by providing in supernatural ways that were beyond anything we could have ever imagined. God's given it to us to enjoy. God's given it to us to share. So in closing, how can I be sure that I'm enjoying and sharing God's provision in my life in a way that rightly honors Him and stewards His resources? How can I be sure? Well, I want to close by giving you three practical handles. I gave them to you last weekend, but I want to unpack them quickly Three practical handles about how you and I can do this. So here's the first one. Give to the Lord. With each of these, I'm going to give you a verse of Scripture. If you want to manage what He's given to you in a way that honors Him, you can't get past this in Scripture. Give to the Lord. Here's a verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Look what it says. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the what? Say it out loud. First of all your produce. The word produce is a word that means revenue or income. Out of what comes in, the scripture says, I am to first give to the Lord. That's first. This word first here literally is the first word in the Bible. Genesis 1 1. You know what the first word in the Bible is? That word, that Hebrew word. In the Bible, in, the, in Genesis, it's translated in the what? In the beginning. Here it's translated first. The principle is before anything else. In the beginning, before anything else, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's what he says. When, when God provides, when there's produce, when there's income, when I'm supplied, before I do anything else, give to the Lord. Here's what this means. I don't take care of me first and then give to the Lord out of what's left over. I start with Him. Again, you say, man, I, how does that make sense? Listen, all I can tell you is Jesus said, if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. And 28 years, my wife and I have been living that out, and we have seen it happen. We've seen it happen. For the Christian generosity goes beyond investing in the Lord's work through his church, but that's where it begins. As a Christian, am I only supposed to give through my church? No, but that's the starting place. I start by setting something aside out of what he's provided to give through my church as an investment in the Lord's work. But that leads to another question. Well, how much? How much am I supposed to give? And this is where the debate starts, right? Christians get on all sides of the aisle here and begin to debate over how much we're supposed to give, what's the percentage, how do we know? Listen, I am not here to end all those debates. I can't. Nobody can say dogmatically, this is the absolute way you have to do it. Here's what I'm here to tell you. 
You have to establish your personal conviction. Here's what I can promise you. The principle from Genesis all the way to Revelation is God's people have always given a portion first to him out of what he's given to them. You have to determine that for yourself. For sake of giving you an example, I'm going to share with you my personal conviction. But did you hear those three words? My personal conviction. Here's what that means. You can have a different conviction than I do. You don't have to have my conviction. What you need to have is a conviction. You need to get before God, determine you. Here's my personal conviction. It's what my dad taught my wife and I when we first got married. We've lived with it ever since. The starting place for us, based on what we learned from Scripture, was what's called the tithe or 10%. Some people argue and say, well, there you go, bringing up the Old Testament law. No, that's not true. The tithe started 400 years before the law in Abraham's life, was included in the law. And then as you study in the New Testament, every example of giving in the New Testament goes far beyond the tithe, but none of them is less than the tithe. You say, what's the tithe? It's the Hebrew word for 10%. So my family established years ago in our lives that as a starting point, 10% out of everything that we have come in, we're setting aside and giving that to the Lord. My personal conviction is that belongs to Him. It's not an offering until I get above that. It's not an offering when you give somebody what already belongs to them, right? That's not a gift. Somebody gives you something that already belongs to you, you don't say, well, thank you very much. You say, why do you have what belonged to me, right? That's my conviction. You got to establish yours. You have to, before the Lord, determine where is this place. My family decided that the tithe was kind of like training wheels. It's the way God taught us to live this out. My wife and I, it's been a long time since we've had a conversation about 10% because we've grown far beyond that. But you got to find a starting place. If that makes sense, say amen. So give to the Lord. Here's the second one. Save for the future. Save for the future. Look at the verse out of Proverbs chapter 21. The wise have wealth and luxury, but the fools spend whatever they get. You know what that tells me about America? (laughs) We got a lot of foolish people. (gasps) Pastor, you shouldn't say that. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. (laughs) If you spend everything that comes in, the Bible says that's a foolish way to live. Now, again, the the, the book of Proverbs are are pearls on a string. They're wisdom principles. There are times and seasons in your life where you're in one of those valleys where you only have the opportunity to spend what comes in. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about as a general practice over the course of my life, I should establish wisdom says I must save some for the future. And living within your means doesn't simply mean you don't spend more than you earn. From a biblical perspective, living within your means means that you also set aside some of your means to save for the future. You say, well, how much? Again, you got to establish your personal conviction. Here's the one my family started with years ago. We're past this now, but here's where we started. 10%. 10%. We said, we're going to set aside for the Lord 10%. We're going to save 10% out of everything that comes in. Start saving that up. you got to establish your conviction before the Lord, but you got to find a starting place. So here's the question. Are you wisely preparing for the future by saving? Listen to me. 
And again, I'm not talking about in those seasons of real need and desperation. I'm talking about confusing wants and needs and living as a practice of your life where you're spending everything that comes in, living check to check and bouncing it off credit cards. Here's what the Scripture says. If that's the way you're living your life, that is a foolish way to live, and it will not end well. It won't end well. Save for the future. Number three, you're going to love this one. Budget. Isn't that a beautiful English word? Every time that word comes up in your house, it just brings joy and cheer to all who are having the conversation, right? (laughs) Budget. Budget to live. Here's the scripture. Look what it says. Proverbs 21. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The word hasty is a word that means urgent or spur of the moment. If the way I handle my money is hastily, spur of the moment, urgent, whatever's in front of me, that's what I do. If there's no plan, the Scripture says that is not going to end well. Wisdom demands that I have a plan, this purpose, this intention And the Bible says, if I'll do that, the promise is advantage. It means favorable position. If I establish a financial plan to live by, it puts me in a better position financially. Where does this come from? Straight out of the Bible. Straight out of the Bible. Give to the Lord. Save for the future. Budget to live. Do you have an intentional plan for how you manage your money? Maybe for some of you, you're, you're new to Christ or you're new to, to even hearing about this. And when you think about finances, man, it's like chaotic and it's, it's what keeps you up at night. Listen, we want to help you. In January, we're starting another round of our class called Financial Peace University. We've had hundreds of people go through that class. We'll give you some practical how-to handles about giving to the Lord, saving for the future, budgeting to live. We'll walk with you to establish a plan so you can live out these principles. You can sign up today at the Next Step Center to be a part of that class. You can go to the Hope Church app, and you can sign up there to be a part of Financial Peace University. We want to help you do this, and here's why. A right perspective towards money means giving, saving, and budgeting are all spiritual disciplines. What's a spiritual discipline? Read your Bible and pray every day. Yes, that's true. That's a spiritual discipline. We need to read God's Word. We need to pray. But here's what else is a spiritual discipline. Giving, saving, budgeting. Why? Because everything I have has been entrusted to me by God. It all belongs to Him, and what He's entrusted to me, I'm to use for Him. That makes every decision I make about money and material wealth a spiritual decision. We often put giving over here as a spiritual discipline, but saving and budgeting, that's over here for nines. No, no, no. It's all spiritual because it all belongs to Him. Part of being a faithful follower of Jesus is living out faithful stewardship of what He's entrusted to us. So I want to give it to you in a picture because they say some people learn better in pictures. I'm going to give you a picture. I want to give you what we're calling a stewardship target. Put it up here on the screen. So here's the target. Now, again, it's a target, okay? This is not the end-all, be-all. This is a guide. 
you need to have you a target. <laughs> when my family, when Christian and I first got married, this was our target. Give to the Lord, 10%. Save for the future, 10%. Budget to live on 80%. Now, throughout the course of our marriage, these percentages have changed up and down, and we're in different places. But there's always been this target. Here's what I'm telling you. You need to establish a target for your life as it pertains to money based on the fact that all belongs to him. He's entrusted some to me. What he's entrusted to me, I'm to use for him. If you don't have a target, you're not faithfully following Christ as a good steward. So here's my first question. Do you have a target? If you don't have a target, take a picture of this one. It's a good place to start. You say, I don't know if that's my conviction. Start here, figure it out. Here's the second question. If you got a target, how's your aim? It's one thing to have a target. It's something else to not be aiming at it or to be hitting way out here. Here's my prayer for 2020. As we look into 2020, my prayer is everybody who calls Hope Church their home establishes before the Lord your personal conviction of your target. And then in 2020, before the Lord, we do what we can to strengthen our aim. Why? Because it all belongs to Him. He's entrusted some to me. What He's entrusted to me, I'm to use for Him. How do I do that? Right here. Practical how-to steps. Now, while you're thinking on that, I'm going to close the sermon with the final point. We're going to end our service a little bit differently today, but I want to close with this final point. Here it is. How I manage my money in this life impacts the life to come. Put that target back up here. Give me the target back. How I live this out in this life impacts eternity in heaven. Now, don't misunderstand. This doesn't earn my way into heaven. That's not what we're talking about. We get into heaven as a gift because Jesus has already done everything for us. Amen? But how I do this impacts eternity. Paul said it here in verse 19. He said, when you do this, you are storing up for yourself the treasure of a good foundation for the future. What does it mean that the way I manage my resources in this life impact the life to come? Listen, to be honest with you, I don't know everything it means. But I'm going to give you two things I know for sure. And these are going to blow your mind. Here's the first one. You will be received in heaven by those you've impacted by the way you've stewarded God's resources. You say you're making that up. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Luke chapter 16 verse 9. Listen to what it says. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they, who's they? Those that have benefited through your generosity, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Here's why that excites me. Listen, God called my family here almost 20 years ago to plant this church. 
Now for over 18 years, my family has faithfully and generously invested in Hope Church. Not to a church, through a church to make a difference in the kingdom in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. And you know what? There have been thousands of people come to Christ in Las Vegas. Some of them I know, some of them I don't know. There have been lives changed up and down the West Coast, people that have come to know Christ. There have been lives changed in places like Central America and South Asia and Southern Africa, places all over the world. People have come to Christ because it couldn't have happened without our God didn't need us, but he invited us to get in on it. We gave, and because we gave, their lives have been touched. Right here in our own city, women have been rescued out of being trafficked. Children have been saved out of being abandoned and orphaned. God is doing that through your generosity. And here's what he says some of them are now already in heaven and when we get there when our time comes they are going to be the welcoming party saying thank you for your investment your generosity in this life is preparing your welcoming party into the life that's to come That'll change the way we see generosity. I want my party to be big. Here's the second thing. You'll be rewarded in heaven by Jesus himself for the way you've stewarded God's resources. You say, well, I I didn't have much. No, 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 that's not the point. You're not going to be rewarded based on how much. You're going to be rewarded on how you stewarded what was entrusted to you, which means people that have got more, there's going to be more accountability for them. There's a story in the Gospels Jesus tells about a a man that was going on a journey, and he gave talents, he gave resources to people to manage those resources. And then the landowner returned to see how they'd stewarded what he'd given them. And listen, this is where this famous verse, you've heard it before, that's the story that it comes from. Look what it says. The landowner returned and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. After you're welcomed into heaven by this party of people that have been changed through your generosity, The scripture says Jesus will reward you and give you responsibility in the coming kingdom based on how you've lived out the spiritual discipline of stewardship in this life. That should be our perspective towards money. Let's pray together today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that as only you can, you would take these truths and teach us, equip us, change us, transform us. As you sit quietly before the Lord today, I told you a moment ago, we're going to end our service a little differently. Normally at this time, we stand, sing a song of response. We're not doing that. I'm about to let you go. But I want you to just think on what you've heard today. And first of all, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't know what it means to be forgiven by God and have a relationship with Him. Today, we want you to know what it means to be a Christian. God loves you. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. Listen to me. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son so that you could be saved. 
when we dismiss our service in just a moment, if you'd like to talk with somebody today about being a follower of Jesus, about being a Christian, there's some pastors that are up here on the stage already. They're going to stay here after the service. If you'd like to talk to somebody today about becoming a follower of Christ, you come to any one of these pastors. They'd love to talk with you. Or you can stop at the Next Step Center out in the lobby. Just say, I need to talk to somebody, and we'll talk to you about how you can know what it means to be Jesus' follower and to go to heaven when you die. But to the rest of us in the room, those that are already Christians, here's a question I have for you. When's the last time you thanked God for His faithful provision in your life? Would you just take a moment right now, thank Him for the resources that you have, the place to live, the car you drive, the apartments you rent, the job that you have, the food that you eat, the clothes that are on your back today. We live in a culture where all that's so easily taken for granted, but here's what the Bible says. It's God who's richly supplied us with all these things. Thank Him right now. Just thank Him. Just thank Him. Then here's the third question. Do you have a target? Do you have a plan that includes giving and saving and budgeting? Listen, if you don't have a plan, you need to make a fresh surrender of your heart. You need to sign up today for that Financial Peace University. You need to get in that class where we can walk with you for a few weeks and help you know how to do this. And here's the last question. Maybe you're here you say, I got a plan. Here, here's my question for you. How's your aim? You hitting the target? Why does it matter? Here's what matters. You're going to be received in heaven by a party of people that have been impacted through the way you've lived out this principle. And secondly, you're going to be rewarded in heaven based on it. There's probably a lot more it means, but I know that for sure. And those two enough make me want to get this right. After I pray, we're going to dismiss. But if you're here this morning and you need to pray with someone, a pastor, one of our deacons maybe, or prayer volunteers, about something in your job, your health, your family, your marriage, after we dismiss, our pastors and some prayer volunteers, deacons, going to be here at the front. You can come to any one of them. They'd love to pray for you and pray with you. God, would you speak today as only you can? Would you give us wisdom about how to live this out? Lord, I pray for people today that don't know Jesus, that they would not leave this building without talking to somebody about what it means to know Jesus. God, I pray for Christians all over this building that we would live out the spiritual discipline of giving, budgeting, saving. We would manage what you've given. Lord, it all belongs to you. You've entrusted some to us. May we use what you've entrusted to us.